You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. Hello, gang. We are back. And better than last week, we hope. Uh, always looking to improve, as always. I'm Lou. Alex is here as well. Uh, we got a lot to get to today. Playoff picture, little Derek Carr talk, uh, the upheaval in, in Detroit, which we kind of saw coming. We'll also talk a little bit about the NFC East, and uh, we'll hit on all that stuff. But first, Alex, bring you on in here. What, what's going on, man? How you doing? I'm ready to talk about that. NFL playoff picture, the NFC East division as well. I mean, that's just, that's a fun one. It's better to be in the NFC West than the NFC East right now, but we'll get to uh, Washington and, and the Cowboys. This is a tight race in the NFC right now, Lou. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, especially at the top, uh, you got New Orleans, the number one seed at nine and two, uh, Seattle and Green Bay respectively well they're both eight and three but i think because of strength of schedule seattle's ahead right now and then you got the new york football giants that's right at four and seven locked into that four seed i don't know if it's locked it's kind of like a wet cement at this point but anyway yeah it's it's tight the the wild card race you got the rams seven and four tampa bay's off this week they got that extra game in there they're seven and five and uh, Arizona sitting at six and five, even though they've lost a couple of games. San Francisco could could be sneaky. They're five and six right now, playing pretty good. You, you never know with Kyle Shanahan, he can get those guys to play his style. And if Mullins can kind of hang in there, who knows? Maybe they sneak in there over Arizona. There, Arizona's not playing that great. Save that uh, Hale Murray, they could be looking at five and six right now. So yeah, it should be interesting. I can't believe San Francisco got some airtime on this show. It's not happening, Lou. We're not going to get four <laughs> teams in the NFC West. That's just, I don't think we've ever had that before. Well, Arizona may not may not keep that spot. Like I said, they're, they're sitting there. Not, then they're going to be bunkmates, right? San Francisco is going to play uh, their quote-unquote home games at uh, Arizona Stadium because uh, the uh, COVID restrictions in Santa Clara County could be kind of a, a very interesting uh, roomies, so to speak. Let's talk about the Saints. Uh, according to Bovada Sportsbook, the Saints are minus three away versus the Falcons this week, and they've got another easy game. It looks easy, and uh, Taysom Hill, is he didn't look that great last week, but that Saints defense, I keep keep talking about this almost every week. That defense is hitting its stride just where you want it to you want them to be peaking midway through the season i just think they're they're hitting their stride the secondary is playing better that pass rush looks amazing they're just harassing the opposing quarterbacks again sean payton the one guy that just keeps an even keel and has this team it doesn't matter what's happening with this team we lose drew Brees, fine no problem i'll put Taysom hill in Taysom Hill doesn't play, I'll put Winston in. But that defense is just uh, playing incredibly well, and I'm impressed. 
Yeah, they certainly flipped a switch, uh, I don't know, about midway through the season. It seems like, a, like three or four games ago, they just they kind of reverted back to what they were last year and then, you know, accelerated a bit. Yeah, you absolutely. The pass rush is amazing, and every, everything else seems to be falling in place. Malcolm Jenkins kind of quarterback in the, uh, the defensive backfield, the old vet. Yeah, they, they look like a, a, a very good team. And then, of course... Uh, you've got you know Seattle and Green Bay you know going neck and neck there for the for the second seed or the or the top seed. I mean New Orleans is no no great lock here, and uh, yeah maybe I'll uh, you know kind of kind of tease the pick segment going going forward. You did mention uh, Bovada has New Orleans as a three point favorite in Atlanta. For those of you that have been listening previous episodes, yeah you probably have an idea which way that one's going to go. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for that. I mean, every every time I, I pick on Atlanta or someone else, I mean, the ugly pick of the week, it always tends to, to bite me. I always mock it on this show, and then it just it backfires on me. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to mock it again just to give you some good luck. <laughs> I mean, just keep I it will going, take it. as they say. Keep it I going. Will, I will take it. Yeah, I guess further down the list, Arizona's the, the one to me. I mean, they've, they've got the Rams this week. That's not going to be an easy game for them. Uh, Rams coming off a, a tough loss at home against San Francisco. And then they've got the Giants, Philadelphia. So they've got some definitely some winnable games in there, San Francisco, and then uh, the Rams again. So uh, Arizona has no easy task here. Talked about San Francisco. I don't know why I keep bringing them up. I just think that they've got a legitimate shot here. they got Buffalo, Washington, at Dallas. Obviously, we mentioned there the Arizona game, and then um, you know Seattle. So the Bucks, ever since they brought in AB, he's been a bad luck charm for them. Brady is Mister Prime Time in previous years. is He's playing some of his worst football uh, when the when the lights are are shining brightly. Bruce Arians is criticizing greatest quarterback of all time, and. I'm surprised. The Bucks have an easy schedule, by the way. They have a bye, and then the last four weeks, they've got your favorite Atlanta Falcons. They're playing twice, twice. <laughs> and then they've got the Vikings. So the Bucks are going to roll here. But I'm and just Detroit. Not... I mean, they legitimately they could they could finish eleven and five, no problem. But I'm just not sure that the Bucks have anything left. Can they beat a playoff team? That's what I'm wondering because at this point, over the past couple of weeks. I'm not sure they can beat a good team. I realize that they've played the Kansas City Chiefs, the Rams. I, I look at these teams that are going to make the playoffs, and the only team that I give the advantage to the Bucks is if they get the Giants. Like, if the Bucks play the Giants, that's going to get ugly. And uh, that that's the only game where I think the, the Tampa Bay Bucks have a shot. If they play against the Cardinals, the Rams... Even maybe I give them a shot against the Seahawks because the Seahawks have a terrible secondary, and maybe the Bucks have a shot there with Brady and those weapons on the outside. But I just I don't think they. This might be like a one and done type of deal for the Tampa Bay Bucks. It certainly could. I mean, that that's no great shakes either. They 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 probably don't feel too good about going back to MetLife. That wasn't an easy game. Uh, was it a Monday night game against the Giants where? Uh, they struggled that game too. So watching, obviously, watch the game against the Chiefs. First play, the last play. You know they're not that far off. 
okay? I mean, yeah, Brady's making some pretty bad throws, and you just think, like, he's chucking it down the field a lot. So I don't know if he's trying to, if he's trying to prove a point that he can still throw down, you know, down the field, make the long throws, or Arians is kind of dialing these up. Hard, it's hard to read because, you know, if you're just looking at Brady's career the last 10 years, a lot of easy stuff, right? A lot of a lot of checkdowns, a lot of, you know, a lot of Julian Edelman, a lot of a lot of running back throws, and they just kind of, you know, dink and dunk their way down the field and they're very efficient. They don't turn it over, the defense plays good, and they win. Whereas now he's got all these toys, all these weapons that he's trying to get the ball to these guys deep. And yeah, you're going to hit some, but you know, sometimes you're going to th- throw interceptions. And this is, I don't know, Brady's thrown this many interceptions in a season in, in his career. It's got to be close. I'm not sure the Arians is, is flexible enough for Tom Brady. And they didn't have a normal offseason, obviously, with everything that's going on in this country. And it took a lot of time, and it's still taking time for this offense to gel. And then you bring in Leonard Fournette. Then you bring in Antonio Brown. And you're trying to fit those pieces in somehow. It's just, again, it's an all-star team of individuals and big personalities. And I think in the end, it's, it's just going to backfire. I, don't, I realize the Arians has his offense, but sometimes you have to realize what you have at quarterback, and he's your best player. And you need to adjust and you need to run some of those easier patterns, some of those crossing routes, hitting those running backs out of the backfield instead of just stubbornly taking those shots on first down uh, down the field. And also, I love Todd Bowles. I do. I just he's one of the better defensive coordinators in this league. But I didn't understand the move of putting Carlton Davis on Tyreek Hill. Carlton Davis is having a great season. But there's no way that he can cover Tyreek Hill one-on-one. I don't think anybody can. I realize that the Bucs didn't have Jamel Dean. They're a fast you know, guy who has 4-3 speed and can probably keep up with Tyreek Hill. I didn't understand that move. And that was just horrible coaching in the beginning to allow Tyreek Hill to, to get a couple of big plays and, and kind of put this game away early. Yeah, I mean, he did it the whole first. It took him the whole first quarter to to make that change. And what Hill had over two hundred yards. I mean, yeah, they were licking their chops. They don't. You know, the Chiefs don't see this. I mean, they the way teams have been playing them, it's always okay. Let let's play two guys deep. We're not going to let Hill get over the top. We're not going to let Hardman get over the top. And let's see if Mahomes can be patient enough. But it, once he did that, it did slow down a bit. But by that time, yeah, he gave him an opportunity. The defense held them down. But like you said, I mean, they were just uh, a little too too greedy with uh, the deep shots as, as far as uh, Tampa Bay was concerned. You don't think any of these other teams really have a chance? Minnesota, Chicago, San Francisco. I give I guess San Francisco could sneak in there because there is the way Arizona's been playing. Minnesota and Chicago, I don't think have any prayer. Do you? That's not happening. No, no. that's not happening. Just based on what I've seen and how the the Bears have fallen apart. Over the past five, six weeks, uh, they've got a huge quarterback problem. It doesn't matter who is in there, Nick Foles or Trubisky. The Vikings are a nice story, but I think they're more of an 8-8 eight and eight type of team. I just think we're in the NFC, it's really tight. And a lot of it is going to come down to the seeding. 
And a lot of it is going to come down to the home field advantage. If the Saints get the home field advantage in the Superdome, it's going to be tough to beat them, even without the full capacity. We all remember when the Saints had home field advantage, that was the one and only Super Bowl that Sean Payton and Drew Brees came away with. Let's turn our attention to the AFC, Lou. And the Steelers are running away with it right now. They look like the the clear-cut number one seed in the AFC. Pretty top-heavy in the AFC with uh, Pittsburgh and Kansas City, 10-0, 9-1. Tennessee, you know, 8-3, so is Buffalo's 8-3 as well. Cleveland's at 8-3. They're in the wild-card spot right now. But, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, they... Their defense has been their defense. We've talked about the Steelers on a pretty regular basis, and you know, with with good reason. And but they've got Ben back back, and he's making enough plays for them to win. The three headed monster receiver we, we've talked about. They're a pretty balanced team. If they can maybe run the ball a little bit better with uh, Connor and Snell, maybe that makes them even more difficult to beat so that's uh, that's going to be interesting to see down the stretch here if they can kind of finish the deal those top two places are pretty much locked uh we'll see what happens with um tennessee they've got the the edge over indianapolis right now barely in that division buffalo seems to be moving in the right direction to win that but again miami's only a game back so yeah i mean it's it's going to be a from three through seven, going to be going to be very interesting because again, you've got Baltimore on the outside looking in, and obviously, I mean, they're a pretty damn good team, but not playing that well. Las Vegas, like you say, if if they could play the Chiefs all the time, maybe they they'd win more games. Or Derek Carr would definitely play better. Uh, New England's at five and six. Yeah, I guess you have to keep them in consideration, but I don't see them winning enough games to get there. So, uh, yeah, I think from uh, four through seven is going to be going to be a, a tight race. I agree with you, and I'm looking at those last three spots. I'm looking at the possibly Miami Dolphins, the the Baltimore Ravens, and the Indianapolis Colts. Those three teams are dangerous in their own rights because. The Colts have a great defense, and you might get a game or two where Phillip Rivers just plays lights out. And if they can get that running game going and have more stability there. The Ravens, they've got a chip on their shoulder this year. Lamar Jackson certainly does because he's not playing like an MVP. And people are kind of sleeping on the Ravens. If they can get into the playoffs as a sixth or a seventh seed, you don't want to play a team like that because of that defense. And because of the way that season ended last year, Jackson is going to be a man possessed in the playoffs. And the Dolphins, they've got a great secondary, a very good defense. Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to be the quarterback there, always spreading the ball around. Devontae Parker is that number one wide receiver, and he has finally lived up to that first-round potential the last couple of years. I think the Dolphins is a team that I wouldn't want to play because, you know, Flores is going to have a great scheme to to slow down that dangerous offense. So those are the three teams that I wouldn't want to play just for the reason of they all play good defense, the Dolphins, the Ravens, and the Colts. And to me, defense still wins championships in this league. Yeah, I mean, eventually you have to stop somebody. I mean, even like 
keep going back to last year, the the Chiefs, they really became a great team when the defense stepped up at the end of the year. And and really, yeah, they had a couple of games where they got down very quickly, but the defense held together to give the offense a chance to win each and every one of those playoff games. Yeah, I mean, looking at Baltimore's schedule, I mean, they've got, as we record, uh, they're playing Pittsburgh this afternoon on a Wednesday, you know, Wednesday afternoon football. When have you ever said that before? You know, they've got a pretty, pretty easy schedule the rest of the way. They've got Dallas, they've got the Browns, they've got the Jags, Giants, and Cincinnati. So, I mean, those are I could see them winning all those games. Today is going to be a tough deal going with RG3 against the Steelers, but even at 6-5, and five, they could easily finish 11-5, and five, and that would certainly put them you know, in a wild-card spot. So I, don't, you know, I wouldn't count them out. No matter how bad it looks like they're playing, they should beat each of those five, five teams after today's game in Pittsburgh. And you never know, RG3 in week 17, you know, there was no Ben, ben Roethlisberger, but uh, he got it done against the Steelers. It should be good down the stretch here. It's going to be tiebreakers like crazy. And as it stands right now, uh, I agree with you, the, the Ravens, you would not want to have them as a first round game for sure. There was a little bit of a house cleaning in Detroit we had spoken with uh, Dave Burkett from uh, the Detroit Free Press a while back, a few weeks ago, and we talked about that exact thing. You know what, what's going to happen here, and he was, uh, I think, you know, if I remember correctly, he was under the impression that again the, the GM might get a second bite at the apple, but not happening. They're out. What were your thoughts? I mean, I guess more so at the timing. We, I think, we knew it was going to happen, but just the timing of it. I think the Lions just want to get a head start on some of these uh, possible head coaching candidates, some of these offensive coordinators, maybe some of these college coaches. And I just think that the Ford family, they want to take a different stance. They realize that Matt Patricia experiment wasn't working and he just wasn't making progress. He was trying to be, in my opinion, Bill Belichick, and it just didn't work. He had to be himself. I don't think Matt Patricia understands who he is. He tried to approach the media the same way as Bill Belichick, but he just didn't have the wins. He didn't have the Super Bowl rings, so he was in no position to to play that card. I think he's going to go back and he's going to become a, a good defensive coordinator, but it's just not meant to be. You know, there was one senior bowl that I remember Matt Patricia coaching, and it was the most disorganized, nonchalant practices that I've ever seen in Mobile, Alabama. And I was looking it over, and it wasn't only one day. I mean, I was there for three days, and it was the same thing over and over and over again. I saw medicine balls. I saw them standing around. I didn't see them pumping up uh, the quarterbacks or the players. And the the players, they, they feel the energy, or they don't feel the energy from the coaching staff. And I just, I was sitting there saying to myself, this is going to be a long week. And it's going to be a long season next year for the Lions. And after that, if they decide to keep Mr. Pencilman. Being a, a, a draft guy, I thought Bob Quinn did a pretty good job drafting players, especially in the first round. I thought he had success, you know, getting like Taylor Decker, Frank Ragnow, solidifying that offensive line. Uh, he got Kenny Galladay. He found a few other players on day three. So in my opinion, Bob Quinn did a good job in the draft, which is a big part. 
But unfortunately, he's always going to be tied with Matt Patricia. That was his boy. He brought him in, and unfortunately, he let him down. That may have been the the straw that broke his back was just the fact that he that that was his guy and he and he did bring him in and I don't know if if some of these these guys that leave New England they feel like they bring all that gravitas with them they don't like you said realize that there's only one Belichick he's the only one that can really get away with that maybe Greg Popovich a little bit in the NBA where he has kind of that that gruff exterior and can kind of get away with that with the media but I think Belichick is really the only one in the NFL as far as Patricia's concerned I'm guessing he'll be back with New England at some point. I, I don't I don't see him going anywhere else. They don't have a named defensive coordinator right now. Unless, of course, Bill's really high on his kid or just wants to give him his best option. Maybe Patricia comes on as some kind of defensive assistant. But I think that's where he ends up. Uh, Bovada has the Lions this week as a three-point underdog versus the Bears. Uh, the oh, Bears, what a the, bad game. <laughs> the Bears are minus three at home. I'm almost tempted to to take the Lions in this game just because, hey, you've got the interim head coach. Matt Patricia is out of town. The Lions are going to be motivated. You know, there were two things that really stuck out before we move on from the Lions completely. Two things that stuck out. I saw a lot of players saying not so nice things about Matt Patricia, whether it was former players or even players on that team and that tells me something that he just he didn't have the attention of those players he didn't command the respect and he didn't earn it that's a problem when you don't win your locker room when you don't win those players when they don't believe in you they're not going to play hard for you when you try to get guys like Robinson and Darius Slay out of town saying telling people that they're bad seeds you know, I want to get them out of town. I want to get my players in there. And then those guys continue to to play well on other teams. That's a problem. Another thing that really stuck out to me is Matt Patricia is supposed to be this so-called defensive guru. Well, you know what? Matthew Stafford carried him the entire way. Just wasn't able to do it consistently enough week in and week out. But that line's defense, I mean, they stunk it up. Not only this year. For the past two and a half years, Matt Patricia's defense with the Detroit Lions was horrible. Browns fans haven't had much to cheer about this century, but this season, things are looking up again. Browns have clinched their first non-losing season since 2007. And to help us sort some of these things out, we would like to bring in our guest to the show, Scott Petrak. He covers the Browns for the Chronicle Telegram and the Medina Gazette. You can find his work on brownzone.com. Scott, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. The Browns are 8-3 and three right now, in second place in the AFC North Division, riding a, a three-game winning streak. What is different about this year's team? Oh, that's a great question. I think it starts with the coach and the coaching staff. You know, if you look at the Browns' record over the last 20-plus years, they struggle to have the right coach. And Kevin Stefanski, I know it's only one year and he's 38 years old, but has come, has come in and I think made a world of difference. And he's got a good staff around him. Alex Van Pelt, the coordinator on offense. Bill Callahan, the O-line coach, has been a huge addition. Stump Mitchell, the running backs coach. And then, you know, they've been building this roster for the last two or three years. And everyone thought 
it was ready last year, and the roster may have been ready, and just maybe maturity-wise they weren't ready, and coaching-wise they weren't ready. Um, but I think they've continued to add pieces to the roster. I think the roster is playoff caliber, and now you have a coaching staff to match. So, Scott, I mean, obviously the, the Browns have gone through coaches, it seems like, every well, every year sometimes. You mentioned Stefanski and, and some of his attributes. There hasn't been much noise from the players this year. How has the coach kind of implemented his culture i mean it seemed like last couple of years the players were kind of chirping before the year how good they were going to be and so forth how do you, how has he kind of implemented a new culture yeah he, he definitely has i i do have to say this kind of caveat that i think it's easier to manage situations and have less fewer distractions when covid 19 is going on because I, I think there's just so much other stuff going on. Guys aren't – nobody's living a normal life, right? We're not in the locker room as reporters. Talk to these guys every day. Interaction with the media is controlled through a team Zoom, pretty much. I mean, I've got guys on the phone, but not a bunch, you know. So most of the interactions are on team-controlled Zoom, and I think that helps prevent guys from, let's say, talking out of school. You know, there's less opportunities to go out. I mean, if guys go out and get in trouble – it's going to be a huge deal because they're putting the team in jeopardy of breaking the COVID-19 protocols. And there's, you know, strict penalties for that. And we saw what happened in Denver last weekend with the quarterback. So he, I think Kevin Stefanski has benefited from that in the sense of it's easier to control things, but that's not to remove all credit from Stefanski at all from day one, even though it was virtual, you know, the off season program, I think from day one, he established the tone for the season and the tone for his team. And he's been very good at articulating that and being consistent in that. You know, the Browns talk all the time about we want smart, tough, accountable players. And they're not perfect in that. You know, there's guys that mess up and, you know, you wonder, you know, when a guy takes a cheap shot on the field, you go, okay, that doesn't exactly qualify. But for the most part, I think they've established that is what they're going for is an organization. I think Stefanski, you know, laid the groundwork early, um, laid down the rules, and I think guys have, for the most part, followed them. And that's, you know, that's as simple as the 1-0, and you know, we're going to go 1-0 and this week. And I know most coaches say that, and that's a popular thing now. For example, I don't think Freddie Kitchens last year would have adopted that. He would be talking playoffs, and Stefanski doesn't do that. You know, Stefanski's one game at a time, and for the most part, the players have adapted that. Could Daryl Hodge yesterday, one of the receivers, you know, talked about he thinks they're going to make a deep playoff run, and he got a little, you know, maybe over his skis there. Uh, there's just such a contrast between Stefanski and especially Freddie Kitchens, who's just, you know, his predecessor a year ago, and even the coaches before him, you know, Hugh Jackson and Mike Pettin and Rob Chudzinski, you know, some guys to a different degree than others. But he's been consistent. He's even keel. I was really impressed week one. They go into Baltimore and get destroyed. And it's the kind of loss that could shake your foundation. You know, we saw it happen a year ago. The Browns, oh, there were so many expectations. The people were so excited in Cleveland. And the Browns lose 43-13 to in the opener at home to the Titans. And they had a hard time recovering from that. That did not happen. The Browns go to Baltimore, lose 38-6. to Stefanski after the game was like, hey, one game we're going to fix the mistakes and just his calm 
after that, I, I thought resonated throughout the building, and the Browns go on a four-game winning streak. There's a lot to be to admire about how Stefanski's handled things. And when you ask what's different this year, you know, it starts with coaching, but they're also they're winning games that they should win. And people can pick away at the 8-3 and three record because there's not a whole lot of great wins. You know, the Colts is the only win against the team with the winning record. But instead of having a bad loss in Jacksonville, they find a way to win the game. You know, committing fewer penalties. You know, they're not having to waste timeouts because they can't get the play in in time. They play like a smarter team, and that's straight from the Ivy League coach, Kevin Stefanski. Well, let's talk about that game in Jacksonville. It was it was fairly obvious that there was a lack of a pass rush during that game. How much do they miss Miles Garrett, and will he be back on the field this Sunday against the Titans? Yes, he was activated today off the COVID-19 reserve list, so he should be at practice tomorrow, uh, Wednesday, and it should be a normal week for Miles. I think now the only question is, you know, can he get up to full speed after missing, you know, two games? He tested positive on the 20th, so he hasn't practiced in two weeks because he was sick a couple days before that and stayed home. You know, is his wind affected? Um, will he be able to play the normal snaps, number of snaps? I think that's the only question, but he'll be out there. It's a huge loss when he's not on the field. In the week before, Olivia Vernon and Adrian Claiborne, I think they were inspired to make up for Miles not being there. It helped that Carson Wentz holds the ball forever, and Lane Johnson and Jason Peters with the Eagles, their tackles struggled, so the Browns were able to get five sacks against Wentz. Vernon had a huge day. Jacksonville, you know, Mike Lennon got the ball out in a hurry. They were able to run the ball. Vernon and Claiborne had to play a lot more snaps because they were missing a couple other defensive ends, so they got worn down. So I think having Miles Garrett back is huge just for Miles Garrett, right, because we know he's a defensive player of the year type of player, and he's second in the league with nine and a half sacks. He's got four strip sacks. But then you allow guys to go back to their normal roles, right? So Vernon now becomes your number two end. Claymore becomes your number three, and you can move him into tackle, and you don't have to rush Larry Ogunjobi. So he'll have a domino effect on that front four, and they're going to need it. I think what's overlooked is how good a run defender Miles Garrett is, and obviously playing Derrick Henry in the Titans, that's huge. So Miles, not only will he have an impact in the passing game, or you know, in the pass rush, he'll have an impact in the run defense. Frankly, when you look at the back seven of this defense, there's some issues, and they have injuries starting to pile up. Denzel Ward's going to be out again. Ronnie Harrison, the safety, just went on IR. You can argue those are the, have been the second or third best players on this defense. So Miles in that front four is going to have to dominate for the Browns to have a chance against some of the better competition they're going to face coming down the stretch. Baker Mayfield, you either love him or you hate him. I don't think there's any in-between there. And against the Jags, he played his best game of the season. The throw to Jarvis Landry was impressive into that tight window. We all saw how he missed Rashad Higgins in the end zone. Where do you stand on Baker? What's your take on him, Scott? I don't love him or hate him. Um, (laughs) You know, in my job, you can't do that. Here's what I'll say, that he is certainly a polarizing figure. I'm not arguing with you there at all. And even among the Browns fan base, it's he's the guy or he's not the guy. You know, his defenders get upset when you point out his obvious mistakes. The guys, people that don't like him keep pointing to those mistakes and ignore the fact that he hasn't thrown an interception in four games. Big picture-wise, the Browns are going to have to make a decision 
at some point about his contract and do you pick up the fifth year option? Do you try to extend him? Is he your long-term guy? You know, all those decisions that teams have to make about their quarterbacks. And they, I'm sure had hoped that he would make the decision for them. And it would be a no brainer. Sign a new long-term deal. He's your guy for a decade. And I just don't think Baker has played well enough to do that. Um, I think it's still a question about his long-term future. What's interesting about Baker is you mentioned that Jaguars game, and you hit it on the head. He made some great throws, <clears throat> and he threw two touchdowns, didn't throw an interception for the four straight game. But he misses Higgins wide open in the end zone. He misses Landry on the next play. It's a goal line. He's got a chance on third and inches in the fourth quarter where the Browns need points to end the game, right? They're up eight. And he's got Kareem Hunt wide open in the flat on a rollout bootleg right, and he waits too long, and then he throws it behind him for an incompletion. Hunt gets stuffed on fourth down. The Jaguars score, and it comes down to stopping a two-point conversion. And if he makes a good throw, we're not talking about any about, uh, about any of that. The Browns probably cover, and it doesn't look like they escaped Jacksonville. He admitted it. He left points out there. The biggest issue with for me with Baker is coming out of Oklahoma, when he's a number one pick in the draft, his biggest strength was supposed to be accuracy. And when you're six feet tall, or, you know, he's not quite six one. You have to be accurate, right? We look at Drew Brees. We look at Russell Wilson. If you're not supremely accurate, then we have issues because he's not great out of the pocket. He's not a big-time athlete like a Lamar Jackson or a Russell Wilson or a Kyler Murray. So how is he going to bridge that gap? And it's got to be accuracy. So when he misses routine throws, and he missed two the previous week, the, the Eagles, although the weather was a factor, you start to wonder, okay, how's this guy – What's his calling card? What's he going to hang his hat on? So I'm not writing him off. I think there's a chance he can get back that accuracy because we do see it on some of those pinpoint throws. But it's bothersome when he misses the easy ones because Kevin Stefanski's scheme gives him easy throws and he's got to hit him. So I think the jury's still out. I think the fact that they play the Titans, Ravens, and Steelers coming down the stretch give Baker Mayfield the chance to play well and beat good competition. I expect him to go to the playoffs. That gives him another one or two chances, or three, I guess, to continue to prove that he's the guy, but he's just not there yet. And we are, what, we're 11 games into his third season. Well, we do have to give him his due as a comedic actor. Those progressive commercials are spot on, <laughs> and I laugh every time they come on. I, I know some people get sick of them, but uh, they, they make me laugh. So I think you've kind of laid out the a scenario where, you know, he might – earn that extension what would be that scenario where you say okay he's earned it uh, that's a great question i think he gets red hot over the last five games and wins a playoff game uh, i think that would probably be enough now we're still not talking patrick mahomes money or even deshaun watson money he just hasn't played that well you know he was good as a rookie you know the hot stretch in the second half there was a lot of bad defenses that the browns faced he was bad in his second year, uh, took an obvious step back, threw 21 interceptions, was at the bottom of the league in every big quarterback stat. And then this year he's been hit or miss. You know, he had a great game against the Bengals after a terrible game against the Steelers. Well, the Bengals, you know, the Bengals have a bad defense. But he still completed 21 straight passes, threw five touchdowns, threw the game winner with 11 seconds left. You can't take that away from him. There's just been too much inconsistency. And – the Baker supporters will tell you, hey, he's he's on his third head coach or his fourth head coach if you count Greg Williams. You know, he's gone through three coordinators, quarterbacks, coaches, systems, 
all that is legitimate, right? I, I just think it's premature. But to answer your question, have a great finish to the season and win a playoff game, and then I think the Browns would say, okay, we're going to give you an extension. It's just not going to be, you know, Mahomes-Watson money. That's what I would expect. You know, the next step down is they pick up that fifth-year rookie option, which is guaranteed now in the CBA for 2022, and they have two more years to evaluate him. And if he plays well in 2021, you sign a new long-term deal then, right? So they have some wiggle room, but there's decisions to be made, at least whether or not to pick up that option. They have to make that decision by May. Do you get the feeling, Scott, that, you know, Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski are Ivy League guys. Do you think they've already made up their mind about Baker, and that's the reason why they haven't extended him? Because they know what they have, and they realize that, hey, this guy's not going to take us to the Super Bowl. I don't. I, I don't think they've made up their mind. I'm sure they evaluate every week, and they evaluate every throw. I, I don't think they've made that decision. I think they came in with an open mind. I mean, Andrew Barry was here when they drafted him. He wasn't the GM, but he was... But I think he was executive vice president of player personnel. And then he went to Philly for a year and then came back as GM. So he has experience with Baker. He was part of the regime that drafted him, even if he might not have drafted Baker, number one. He was part of that regime. I think Stefanski came in with an open mind. I think we have to remember that the organization is better off if Baker's the guy, right? Because then if he's not, then you've got a big question about who's going to be your quarterback, right? And it's not easy to find quarterbacks they don't grow on trees we know how this organization has struggled to find a halfway decent one right i mean baker's probably the best quarterback since they've been back in 1999 i mean you can you know maybe you love tim couch for a little bit Derek anderson had one great year um you know hoyer had about nine good games but you know i i think you'd probably say baker's record he's got more wins than anybody else i'm pretty sure the point is it's hard to find a quarterback the organization knows that and I think they hope that Baker can be the guy. You know, they can't really extend him. They can't extend him until after this season anyway. It's not like they put it off and, you know, he's been itching to get a contract. You can't negotiate until after the third year, and this is his third year. So that's when the decision will come. He had three games in a row before the Jacksonville game where the weather was awful. And it made it tough to throw. He only completed 12 passes in each of those games. And that's not on him. And it kind of it made it difficult to evaluate him for that three-week stretch, and it was coming off that outstanding game he had in Cincinnati. All right, well, this next guy I don't think is polarizing by any stretch of the imagination and one of my favorite players in the NFL, Nick Chubb. What does he mean to the team, but I think more so to the organization? And I'm not sure I can even put it into words. The heart and soul of this team you know, Miles Garrett is probably the best player on this team. But most teams, that would be clear-cut, right? Miles is the best player on the team. There's no doubt. Well, when you watch Nick Chubb have the kind of games that he has, you start to go, you know, at least it's a discussion about who the best player on the team was. I, I thought Nick Chubb was the best player on the team a year ago. Right? He was the MVP that I voted for. You know, we have a local writer, writer's vote. He won the MVP, and he got my vote, and it wasn't even close. And it's not only how good he is on the field, right? He's averaging 6.3 yards a carry, finished second for the rushing title a year ago. It's how hard he works. It's the attitude he has. It's the team first. He just, he really, he doesn't care about stats. He doesn't care about promoting himself. You know, you see in the NFL films, they mic him up and he doesn't say anything. 
all it is is people coming up to him and congratulating him, and he's like, uh huh. Like he just doesn't celebrate. It's all about winning games, and he just got a different personality than most of the guys in today's NFL. He's the guy that coaches and front office point to and say work like that guy. He has a huge impact. I think the Browns are five and five and zero this year when he rushes for a hundred yards. They missed him. The run game missed him when he was out with four games with that sprained knee. Even though they have Kareem Hunt, who you know you can argue is a top ten back in the league, top twelve, whatever that number is, there's still a drop off from Chubb to Hunt because Chubb is that good. You know, Chubb is a top two or three back in the league, in my opinion. What's interesting, though, you know, we talk about money and extensions and contracts. He's in the same boat. He's coming up for after his third year. The Browns can begin to negotiate an extension after this season. He only has a four-year rookie contract because he was picked in the second round. Are they going to get big money to a running back, right? We've seen some guys get it, McCaffrey and Kamara and, you know, Ezekiel Elliott got the big money, um, Derrick Henry. But we also see, you know, Zeke in Dallas, they're probably, they might be regretting that contract. I think from an analytics standpoint, the Browns would say it's not in our playbook to pay a running back $14 million. But I think they might make an exception because Nick Chubb is that special of a player and a person. Scott, this O-line is playing 100 times better than they did last year. A lot of it has to do with the bookends. They drafted one, the left tackle Jedrick Wills, and then they signed Jack Conklin. Talk about how they've solidified this group. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, they had pieces there. They had J.C. Treader at center, and he had been signed an extension. They had Joel Batonio at left guard. He had been signed to an extension. They had signed Chris Hubbard in free agency, started at right tackle for two years, and just wasn't quite good enough. Now he took a pay cut, came back. He's the sixth lineman and is great in that role. And Chris is one of the better guys on the team. He's on their social justice committee. Guys love him, so he's a good guy to have around, but they needed an upgrade at right tackle, and they go and get Jack Conklin. And boom, you're so much better. They had Greg Robinson, who was a disaster left tackle. Obviously, left tackle is the most important position on the line. And they, from the jump, said, we're going to go get a guy at number 10, right, in the draft. It was fortunate for the Browns that it was a draft deep in tackles, right? You had Becton and Wirfs and um, Andrew Thomas, and then you had Jedrick Wills. And the Browns, Narrowed it, you know, they focused in on Wills. They said it was not going to be a problem for him to go from right tackle his whole life to left tackle. Uh, they thought Bill Callahan, the veteran line coach, would help that transition. And Wills has been good. Now, he hasn't been great, but he's been really solid. I can't, you know, there's not like a game where he's getting destroyed, you know, give up a sack every third game or whatever. He's got a couple fall starts, but he's played well. And most impressively is he did it without an off-season program, and without a preseason. So the first snap he took in his life at left tackle was week one against the Ravens. He solidified the left side, Conklin at the right side, and I just don't think we can ignore Wyatt Teller at right guard. Now, it shouldn't matter who the fifth guy, in my opinion, who the fifth guy in the line is. You should be able to overcome just an average guy at right guard. But Teller has been above and beyond an average guy. You know, I don't know if he still is, but for most of the season he's leading – the PFF grade. He's mauling guys in the run game. He gets out in space in that wide zone scheme. A um, couple issues in pass protection. I think he's given up a sack three straight games. But he's made a big jump. If he finished last year as a starter and nothing was guaranteed to him, the job was not guaranteed coming back, he's improved himself. And then you add left tackle, right tackle, 
and all of a sudden you have, you know, one of the better, best lines in the league. Talked about some of the name guys. Any guys that maybe the average fan wouldn't notice, but has made a, a pretty significant improvement this year for the Browns. You know, I mentioned Ronnie Harrison at the start. They just put him on IR, the safety. They traded for him from the Jaguars right before the season, September 3rd, after Grant Delpit, the second-round rookie safety out of LSU, his Achilles ruptured in training camp. They traded for Harrison, and he stepped in. He took over the starting job from Carl Joseph, was playing really well, and now he's on IR with a shoulder injury. So that's a big blow, but he had played well. The Browns have so many kind of named guys that, you know, most of those guys are the guys playing well. Rookie tight end Harrison Bryant, he had a fumble against the Jaguars, but he's been a pleasant surprise. I'm not sure they expected a fourth-rounder to play as well as he has, and he does well in the passing game and the run game. Kaderil Hodge is kind of their third, second-slash-third receiver with OBJ out, a big-time blocker, but fast enough that when they go with their three tight ends, and they leave him single coverage. He made the Eagles pay. Um, I ran some double moves, got deep. Um, you know, he's a name you don't hear much, but I think as defense is focused on trying to take away Chubb and Hunt, they're going to have to throw the ball, and they're going to have to throw it on the outside, and you need guys like Kadero Hodge and Richard Higgins to step up alongside Jarvis Landry. Who is the one player that has regressed this season? Good question. Um, you know what? I, I, I would say Olivier Vernon. You know, he was player of the week two weeks ago after that Eagles game. But before that, he'd been largely invisible. He had two sacks in the Raiders game, three sacks against the Eagles. No other sacks. He dealt with some injuries. Hopefully he's past those and can really complement Miles Garrett because they need that second pass rush threat. He had been a disappointment until that Raiders game November 1st. Um, I think Larry Ogunjobi, the D-tackle, I love Larry. I think he's a starter on most teams in this league. He's going to be a free agent. I think he'll get a big contract. I just don't think he's had the Pro Bowl type of season that he had hoped in the inside. Part of that is he hasn't gotten a whole lot of opportunities to rush the passer, and I think he wants more of those, but he hasn't gotten it because the Browns go kind of with the three-end package on third down. And then Andrew Sandejo, the free safety, he signed as a free agent. He's in a tough spot because he wasn't going to start, and then they lose Delpit. Carl Joseph hasn't been very good. So Sandeo's had to play a bunch. He misses too many tackles. I think he plays a little bit out of control. He made a couple big plays against the Jaguars. But if you watch Twitter during a Browns game, fans kill him week after week, and I think most of that's justified. Okay, one last player question for me, Scott. Uh, OBJ, do you think – we see him in a Browns uniform ever again. I do. Um, they have to pick up his, or his contract becomes guaranteed in March and he won't be healthy. So the, the money, the salary for 2021 will be guaranteed, or at least a huge chunk of it. That means they're not going to cut him. Could they trade him? Yes. Would they trade him and maybe get less value for him? I don't think so. Andrew Barry has been steadfast in how he believes Odell can be a part of this organization long term I think he's you know I, I think there's this image of Odell and you know part of it's true and yes he drama and controversy follows him and he always wants to be the center of attention but I don't think he's a bad guy at all and I think his teammates like him we know what a threat he is on the field and the Browns missed that they missed the 
ability for a, a guy to go, you know, 95 yards with the slant. They don't have that anymore without him. They don't have a guy that takes the top off the defense without him. And I think that puts more pressure on the run game and more pressure on Baker Mayfield. You know, I'm not going to say he's guaranteed to come back because, you know, when you hear so many rumors and rumblings and maybe some team tries to get him on a bargain deal and the Browns say, okay, we want to clear some salary cap space. But I do expect him to be back. You know, I, I think you just – it's a hard – it's hard to find number one receivers in this league, and he's a number one receiver. It's hard to give up on those guys. Bovada has the Titans as a six-point favorite this Sunday against the Browns. What's your take on this game, and can the Browns stop Derrick Henry? <clears throat> That's a bigger line than I've seen. I saw four and four and a half, so maybe it keeps going up. It's going to be a battle of running games which sometimes when you have those type of games, it comes down to which quarterback plays better. You know, and I guess you give the edge to Ryan Tannehill, but I don't think it's a big edge, Tannehill versus Baker. You know, I know Tannehill's played really well the last year and a half, um, but I'm still not convinced he's an elite guy. You know, A.J. Brown's playing really well for the Titans. You know, I I think it comes down to who gets a lead, because if you get a lead, it's easier to stick with that running game. Who turns the ball over? The Browns' defense is not good enough to stop teams time and again. They need takeaways, and they struggle when they don't get them. You know, I think the Browns will be able to run it. I think that the Titans will be able to run it. You know, I'd probably take the Titans. You know, it's too early in the week for me, for me to make a my final prediction. I think the Browns will miss Harrison. I think I know they'll miss Denzel Ward. So their defense is kind of beat up. It's tough to go and play the Titans when you beat up like that. The Browns have won three in a row. It's tough to win four in a row in this league. I would say the Titans, but I don't think it's the kind of blowout loss that the Browns had to the Ravens and the Steelers. I think it's a much closer game. I do think the Browns will play well, and I think if they make this march to the playoffs, they're going to win a game where they're not favored to win, whether it's the Titans or it's the next Monday night against the Ravens or it's the finale against the Steelers. I think they have a win that people don't see coming. I think they're going to get it. Um, I'm just not sure which week it's going to be. Well, I'm sure we'll find out how good the Browns really are over the the past month of the season. I don't believe in jinxes, uh, Scott. I think the Browns are a playoff team right now. But how far do you think this team can go in the playoffs? Is it like a one-and-done thing, or do you think they have a a couple of wins up their sleeve? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, Depends on the matchup. You know, if they got Buffalo in the first round, you know, they could beat Buffalo. You know, I'm, they could see Tennessee again. So I'm looking forward to seeing that matchup this week and just how they compare. This offense can score points, and I think it can score points on most teams. You know, I, the only games it didn't were a, a bad weather game against the Raiders, so throw that out. They didn't score against the Ravens, and they didn't score against the I think they're better now than they were in those first five, six weeks of the season, although they will miss Odell. There's no doubt about it. The big concern is defensively. They need to pressure the quarterback with their front four so they can give that secondary help, especially when Denzel Ward's not playing because he was playing at a Pro Bowl level. So they're going to have to outscore teams. They're going to have to run the ball a bunch. They're going to have to not fall behind because then it's going to force them to throw, and that's not what they do best. I could see them winning a game in the playoffs if everything went right, but if I were going to bet, I would bet they get to the playoffs and they lose in the first round. I was going to say, before we let you go, uh, you're a Northwestern guy. Uh, this is kind of a pro football question. Coach Pat, Pat Fitzgerald, <laughs> is is he making a move anytime soon? 
I, well, I hope not. And I don't think so. Um, you know, I thought the Green Bay opening a couple years ago would have been attractive to him. You know, Mark Murphy, I believe, has Northwestern ties. Um, it's a Midwest job. It's You know, it's a dream job for a Midwest guy like Pat. And I think they told him not to interview him. You know, maybe if the Bears job came open, maybe that would be impossible for him to resist. But I don't think it's a slam dunk that he would leave. I'm not sure he would leave for any other NFL job. And I love Pat, and I think he does a great job at Northwestern. I'm not sure that translates to the NFL, and I could be wrong, right? Because I think culture-wise and intelligence-wise and guys play hard for you, like I think all that does carry over. I don't think he's a great game manager. I don't know. It, you know he spent his whole life in college football. I, I just would be worried about that jump if I were the team hiring him. But I love his character. I love the guy. So maybe it's just me saying that because I want him to stay at Northwestern. He just needs to hire that hotshot offensive coordinator, and then he'll be fine. In the in NFL? Yeah, I, you know what? I, I get what you're saying, and I don't even know if I could argue that. Like I said, I mean, he never played in the league. He's been in college. You know, it just – because he's not young. I mean, two years younger than me, right? I, he was, I think he – or he might be one year. I think he graduated a year after I did. So, like, so he's 46. I mean, that's still young from an NFL coaching perspective, but he doesn't feel like that guy – He's only been in college for five years and makes the jump. You know, the Lincoln Riley or the Matt Rule or even Matt Campbell at Iowa State, he feels embedded to me in college. That doesn't mean he can't make the jump. I guess I just would have some doubts about it. But, again, that doesn't mean it wouldn't work, and there's so much I do like about him. I could see an organization wanting to commit to that guy for sure. Scott, this has been great. Appreciate your time and patience with our number of questions and uh we just really had a great time with you uh thanks for coming on before you go i remind our listeners where they can find your work yeah the twitter handle is just scott petrak uh s-c-o-t-t-p-e-t-r-a-k then you can read everything i write and everything some of the guys help me with at uh brownszone.com brownszone.com it's all there tremendous thanks for the insight sir hey thanks for having me guys Great stuff there from uh, Scott Petrak. Uh, it, always great, great to catch up with Scott and his his uh, insight on the Browns. Uh, let's move ahead now to the Raiders. Have been a, a very interesting, uh, interesting season. We really can't figure them out. Play their best games against the Chiefs. Uh, they won in Cleveland. Derek Carr. He is their quarterback. Had two really good games against the Chiefs, and then to my satisfaction, came up this past weekend against Atlanta. And I think the entire team is like, I don't know what they expected. Like they thought they were just going to show up and everything, you know, they were just going to play a game and everything was going to be okay. And Atlanta just rolled them. And Card looked horrible turning the ball over again, you know, met multiple times. I don't get it, Alex. I mean, it's got to be frustrating. I mean, Gruden's just got to be, you know, tearing his hair out. How when you play so well against your division rival and you know arguably best team in the NFL, and you come out the next week where you're supposed to win and completely lay an egg. I mean, it was it was awful. And it starts with the quarterback. I mean, that's just the type of league it is. I always the head coach and the quarterback are always dissected harshly. If you win, you're going to be put on a pedestal like Tom Brady, like Patrick Mahomes. And if you have mixed results, if you don't win, 
people are always going to be questioning you and you're always going to hear those whispers hey Mike Mayock is looking at another quarterback in the draft Derek watch out Derek Carr had that great season he threw for almost 30 touchdowns he limited those interceptions it was 16 with Jack Del Rio and he had a he was talked about as a possible MVP. He was raised in in that notion, and he did have a great season. But they lost in the playoffs. The last two years under Gruden, he's been terrific. If you look at his numbers, like his completion percentage, he's limiting those interceptions. He's playing well against the Kansas City Chiefs, and that it is all that really matters at this point. But it's kind of like. You know, one week he's great, and the next week he's looking like a bottom five quarterback. I just don't get it. Maybe it's the preparation. Maybe he is overlooking some opponents. When he's got Kansas City on his radar, he's just, you know, in there. He's zoned in. He knows that he has, everybody is watching and he's got to match Patrick Mahomes. But when he's playing against, <clears throat> against the Falcons... Nobody cares, and you're thinking, hey, I can sleepwalk through this game, and all of a sudden, you know, you only score like six points in that game. There's something off with Derek Carr. I interviewed him at the Senior Bowl. I interviewed him for the site a few years back when he was coming out as a draft prospect. He's a great guy. Like, he is a guy that you would want to represent your franchise but he fumbles the ball way too much. He can't hang on to that ball. He can't win in cold weather. And he hasn't shown that he can lead this team in deep into the playoffs and to the Super Bowl. So I would assume Gruden is not the most patient guy in the world. They're going to move off Derek Carr eventually. I imagine Gruden, I mean, think about this. Let's say he's looking at his division, right? and the quarterbacks in that division. And let's say these coaches, they, they all work in the, in the same building. Bear with me if you would. And he sees every day Andy Reid rolls up in a red Ferrari. Maybe, well, maybe it's not Anthony Lynn. Maybe Lincoln Riley showing up in like a late model Mercedes 560 SL, top, you know, beautiful car. And, you know, maybe Fangio's rolling up like in a Jeep or something like that. Then Gruden rolls in with his black Tahoe or Explorer or whatever. And he every day has got to look to his left. And those other two spots, he's got the Ferrari and the, and the Mercedes sitting next to him thinking, I, I, I can't win. I, can't, I just can't win like this. So you know the tinkerer in him is thinking, I, we got to do something. We're getting to that point where maybe we can compete with these guys. We were close. We beat them once. We need to do something. And the Chargers aren't, aren't going to be that far behind. I mean, I think they're going to be a lot better next year for sure. They've got the talent to do it. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. I think maybe this may be the offseason that uh, they pull the plug. Well, Bovada has the Raiders minus eight versus the New York Jets. But I want to see how Carr does in, in colder weather. I, I'm, I'm curious. I mean, the Jets' defense played better last week. They actually showed some signs under Greg Williams. I can't believe the New York Jets still haven't pulled the plug on Adam Gase. We've seen three head coaches get fired, and yet the Jets' ownership is the most patient ownership in the entire world. But we'll talk about another own, another owner that's really patient with his head coaches as well. 
Yes, and that is the guy that's got the Tajma Jones or Tajma Jerry, whatever you want to call it, uh, the Dallas Cowboys, who used to be America's team. I'm not exactly sure whose team they are now, except for Jerry. I don't know. I mean, this is just seems like bad science exper- science experiment gone completely wrong. Now, obviously, you can't fault him for what happened to Dak Prescott. I mean, the the one really shining jewel that you have goes out, and he obviously, in hindsight, was covering up a lot of deficiencies with this team. But it just seems like this team—they need a lot of help. They need help in a lot of different places. Whether it's you know through the draft, free agency, they overpaid for their running back. They overpaid for their linebackers. They overpaid for for Amari Cooper. They chose not to pay Byron Jones, their quarterback, the one guy that seems to be the, like the best player. They're still you know he's in limbo. I mean, it almost seems like they need somebody that that can push back against Jerry Jones. And I don't know that that's going to happen. I mean, the only time they really won is when he had Jimmy Johnson, which I think was that guy that wasn't going to really wasn't going to just say yes to everything that Jerry wanted to do. Right. Parcells to a point. But I think once he got to the point where he knew that he was overmatched, he kind of stepped away. But since then, what have they done? Absolutely nothing. They've had some hits in the draft. They've also had some big swings and misses in free agency. Who they choose to pay, it's almost like they need to bring in a football guy to run things, and Jerry's got to let him do it. That would be the way to go. That ain't going to happen as long as Jerry's alive. I don't know if his son would do it once Jerry passes on, but I swear, I mean, it's just as long as he stays where he is and continues to have a radio show and, and just kind of be the center of attention of this team, they're, they're never going to win. And I, I just, I just I'm, I'm firmly convinced that no matter, you know, how they juggle these pieces and who they have coaching the team, it, there's always going to be that, that kind of omnipresent guy kind of trying to pull the strings and it just ain't working i have to say that i picked the cowboys to win this division i picked them to win the super bowl i believed in this dinosaur experiment i believed in mike mccarthy and mike nolan and i thought nolan was going to get creative uh, with blitzing and with this scheme and they were they would be able to force pressure on the opposing quarterbacks and stop the run and I believe that Mike McCarthy is a good offensive coach and it worked in some games when when Dak was operating but they just fell behind in too many games give me a name like who would command respect in Jerry Jones eyes like who is that guy you know I have two names in mind they're not coaching right now I think there are two guys that are sitting and they're doing, you know, some shows out there. They are talking about football. In my opinion, I only see either Bill Cower or Tony Dungy. Those are the two guys that I would try to entice and get them out of, you know, those studios that they're comfortable in right now. I'm not sure they would be even interested in it, especially to work for Jerry Jones especially Bill Cowher. I can imagine that maybe Tony Dungy has that itch. I think Bill Cowher is so far removed 
from the NFL that he likes what he is doing right now. But I think those are the only two guys. Or trade for Sean Payton. I mean, (laughs) give them a first-round pick to the Saints and try to entice Sean Payton back because Bill Parcells wanted Sean Payton to become the next head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. And I remember that when he took offense, when Sean Payton took that job with the Saints, he said he wasn't ready, he should have waited a couple of more years. Bill knew that he was going to walk away and that Sean Payton was was the next guy in line. It's kind of the same thing with the New York Jets, right? Bill wanted Bill Belichick to take over. Bill Belichick let him down and left the New England Patriots. Who is your guy? I mean, those are the only guys that I could think of. Well, the thing is, none of those guys, I mean, just because of the experience and I guess the position they have, their age and and so forth, wouldn't do it just because they, they know Jerry Jones. I think Sean is the only one that's that's coaching right now that I think, yeah, he would be a great fit, but I don't think he would want to to leave New Orleans. He feels very comfortable there. Like you said earlier, I mean, he can, proving that he can win without Drew Brees, you know, it's only been a couple of games and really last week really wasn't a game, but I, but I think you can see that, you know, he'll have a quarterback in there that'll pick up where Drew Brees left off, maybe not put up the numbers, but anyway, as far as this job is concerned, no, they wouldn't take it just because they know what uh, what Jerry's about and how you know they would not be in control. And that's each of those guys would feel like they've earned the ability to control things, uh, not necessarily completely from a personnel standpoint, but have a huge input. I don't think that's happening, and that's why he brought in Mike McCarthy, who is probably just thankful for at another opportunity that he would, okay, I can make this work. Again, as long as Jerry's in charge, the only people that he's going to have a shot at is guys that maybe have not coached before, right, that are looking for an opportunity to make a name for themselves and will take it because there's only 32 of these jobs available and you know they're they're not going to add any more anytime soon. Would it be somebody like Lincoln Riley? You know, somebody that maybe doesn't have the NFL experience and just wants to you know, again come in, get their feet wet in a name organization. Yeah, there's going to be pressure, but I think he kind of thrives on that. So he would be you know a guy that would fit the bill as far as being able to get him, but as far as really being able to have some some say in which way the franchise goes i don't think i don't think that's ever going to happen as long as jerry's running things i would fire mccarthy and that coaching staff right after the season comes to an end they just it's a failed experiment that hasn't worked and but the thing is jerry doesn't fire coaches that quickly no. That is you'll not see some, he, I think you'll see, you'll see some assistants go, though. I think Kellen Moore and Nolan are probably both gone. If you look at his history, he only fires head coaches that had success and won Super Bowls because Jason Garrett got nine years. Chan Gailey got two years. Dave Campo, Mr. 5-11. This is going way back. <laughs> he got three years as the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, Dave Campo didn't deserve to be a head coach. He just wasn't head coaching material. He was finishing 5-11 and 11 every year. But I do agree with you. I think Mike Nolan would get the axe, and Mike McCarthy will get another shot because people would be saying, oh, poor Mike McCarthy. 
Dak Prescott got injured. You know, they had so many injuries on the offensive line. Give him another shot. I think Mike McCarthy should just surrender himself because he knows that he's stuck with <laughs> Zeke. He's stuck with yeah, not I mean, such they, a good offensive line. Right. And we don't even we don't even know if Dak Prescott is gonna be back. But you know what? I want to talk about Washington, Lou. I don't want to focus sure. on this negativity. Let's talk right. about a team that is exceeding its expectations. My expectations, your expectations, everybody's expectations. They are four and seven by tiebreaker. They're, even though they're tied with the Giants, the Giants have beaten them twice, so they're they're ahead of them in the division. But now the Giants have to turn to Colt McCoy for a game or two, and that may not bode so well for the Giants. We'll, that remains to be seen. But just you know, the story of Alex Smith, and just you know, personally, haven't been had him as the quarterback of the Chiefs for a few years. Uh, what he did for that organization, what he did for Patrick Mahomes and Patrick has been, you know, more than willing to to say how much how much of a help Alex was in that year. He kind of just sat back and and, and kind of had that uh, master's class in how to prepare and how to how to play the quarterback position in the NFL. Now obviously Patrick's got skills that are you know, otherworldly, but Alex could plug in all those other pieces for the intangibles and how to lead a team and everything else where you see that you know it, it really ramped up his uh, you know his progress but for him to come back from that horrific injury and he's just such a great dude too so you, you got to believe that team is playing at their peak level just because he's out there and could have lost his leg but and still came back and has taken hits they run the ball Short passes. I mean, he's not. He's never been, you know, the guy to make a bunch of wild plays. The wild plays usually came with his legs, which unfortunately, you know, he, I'm sure he's lost a step or two, understandably. But uh, yeah, I mean, they're they're a really good team on defense. You know, they've got those first all those first rounders in the defensive line: Chase Young, Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen, uh, Montez Sweat. Ryan Kerrigan, that's my guy, alum. Shout out to the uh, the old school Blitzcast. They all contribute, right? I mean, they, and they all they're they're like they've got thirty six sacks. Only the Steelers have more veteran DBs. You know, Kendall Fuller and Ronald Darby leading the young guys. Uh, I mean, Thomas Davis. You know, so they got a lot of good veteran leadership on the team. I mean, they're not going to be you know a great team. I mean, even if they get in the playoffs, they probably lose. But um, McLaurin and Antonio Gibson are the real deal on offense. They could, uh, again, they bring in another young guy that Alex can kind of get ready to play. This could be a good team in a few years, maybe even next year. You never know. I mean, as good as that defense is, as long as the offense doesn't turn it over and can score a few points, they got a a shot. So you got to tip your cap to uh, Riverboat Ron and uh, Del Rio for that defense. You and I wondered why Ron Rivera was making the switch at quarterback. We were saying, what's going on? I mean, Washington isn't a good team. Don't you want to find out that Dwayne Haskins is your guy of the future or not at quarterback? But you know what? Ron Rivera realized pretty early on that the NFC East division is pretty terrible and that he could compete and that he could win with the quarterback. You're saying there's a chance. There's a chance. I mean, with the quarterback <laughs> that's efficient and that doesn't turn the ball over. He turned to Kyle Allen because he was familiar with the offense at Carolina. 
Eventually, Alex Smith got the chance to start. Well, Washington is 3-3 three and three in the last six games. I saw them being creative on offense. I mean, give offensive coordinator Scott Turner some credit. I mean, they, they pulled out some, some interesting plays out there. You mentioned the defensive line. Their defense is kind of bend but don't break. I mean, they allowed field goals against the Cowboys early, but only one touchdown. So I give them credit. I give Ron Rivera credit for motivating this team, uh, for believing in themselves. This is a bad NFC East division. And the only team that I want to see in the playoffs and the team that I'm pulling for is Washington, especially with everything that has gone on there before the season, all the rumors that came out about the the toxic working environment in that franchise, the, the hits that Daniel Snyder has taken. It would be a great story. And to see Alex Smith take a snap and be the starting quarterback in a playoff game would be truly like you know a made for tv movie in 20 years if not hollywood lou i'm sure hollywood yeah, is oh, already absolutely. knocking on imagine. alex smith's door and saying hey when you retire we want the rights i mean we want the rights to that movie i mean you think about his life i mean he was a former foster kid right i mean he's a foster kid growing up yeah, he goes goes to Utah. Was you know the number one pick overall. Uh, yeah, it, it was a great story, no question. And Bovada this week has Washington versus Pittsburgh. The Steelers are getting minus ten. That'll be an early game next Monday. Uh, I know this the schedule is kind of a fluid thing these days, so hopefully that holds. You said ten points, and I think that that could change. You never know. But the schedule makers have not is, are not kind at the end of the season for the football team here. They like you said, they're in Pittsburgh. Then the following week, there's they got San Francisco, Seattle, Carolina. They do get a break at the end and play at Philadelphia. But uh, yeah, we'd love to see them, but it just that that's going to be a tough schedule to get any wins out of that. Let's get a drum roll. It's time for the picks. Is it really? It's that time. We, we have foreshadowed a few, and I'm sure uh, the fans can guess. Okay, that's right, folks. It is pick time. Uh, last week, the football team on Thursday, our Turkey Day special, plus three. They went outright 41-25. Atlanta, plus three at home against those Raiders, 43-6. Wasn't much of a game. The Cleveland game, uh, well, you know, they were minus six and a half, seven. Probably, you know, later in the week, they give up a late touchdown. And anyway, we lost that one. And then Buffalo was minus uh, five and a half. That number actually went down as we got closer to the weekend, which, you know, doesn't really affect us, but it just out of full disclosure here. But they did win the game 27 17 against the Chargers. Three and one in those games. I'm going to give myself a pass on a game, and I, I won't do this again, but. The Denver game, that kind of got a little weird as we got into the week and the three quarterbacks weren't allowed to play. And the number actually went to like 17, a road favorite by 17. Which So I just said, okay, we're just, we're just going to forget that one. So I will give myself a mulligan there. So we're 10-8-1. and 10-8-1, back above 500. We're ready to roll for this week. We've got a few ugly games here this week, Alex. So you pick out which one is the ugly game of the week. Houston is plus three at home against Indianapolis. 
This is it doesn't get much uglier than this. Will Fuller is gone for the season. Kenny Stills kind of talked himself out of there, so they cut him. I'm not sure what I'm thinking here, but I'm going with Houston as the home dog, plus three. Tennessee. Now, here's the one favorite this week. Uh, we, we talked to Scott Petrak, and he mentioned you know all the games that the Browns have played against decent teams. Their only decent win, again, was against, uh, was against the Colts at home. Uh, they play a good team, and they get rolled. So I'm looking for that again. Tennessee minus six take the Titans. Uh, The Chargers are at home getting a point from New England. Obviously, New England did did their thing against Arizona. Arizona did everything they could to lose that game, and of course they did. Uh, But Chargers at home, I think they're going to make enough plays. Herbert's going to be a little bit too much for them, and I think the Chargers win this game. Last but not least, again, Alex's favorite, Atlanta Falcons. They're a home dog again. When are they going to learn that this is a good team? Atlanta plus three against the Taysom Hill-led Saints, who he still hasn't thrown a touchdown pass since he played at BYU. So, Alex, those are the four games. You pick out which one is ugliest. I'm not going to go against the Falcons ever again. (laughs) Please do. Please do. I think if I do, I mean, they they win. You know, I think the Patriots are going to win against the Chargers. I mean, everything that Anthony Lynn has shown over his head coaching career, especially with the Chargers the last couple of years, he can't win close games. It's just there's something up with him. He just... He has a great quarterback, he has a good defense, and he still can't win. So Anthony Lynn is probably going to get the axe at the end of the season. I give the edge to Bill Belichick because Bill Belichick knows how to manage games and he knows how to win those close games, and Anthony Lynn does not. Even though the Chargers do have a very good rookie quarterback, but I think that the Pats will make him look average this week. And Raheem Morris. Uh, you and I talked about it off the air. Morris had three years with the Tampa Bay Bucks, and he had one season where he went 10-6. and six. He didn't get into the playoffs. I think they finished third in that division that year. He deserves a second shot, and I think he deserves a second shot with the Atlanta Falcons, but he's probably not going to get it because the Falcons will hire a new GM. He'll bring in his guy, but Morris has stabilize this team he has motivated this team and they're definitely playing better foot a lot better football with the same players Quinn is gone Morris is here why not give him a shot why don't these interim head coaches ever get a shot especially when they're showing some good things I was pulling for Greg Williams to get that that head coaching job with the Cleveland Browns because they They played better. They were motivated. And I see the same thing with the Atlanta Falcons. They're playing hard for Raheem Morris. So why not give him a a full-time head coaching gig? Absolutely. Got to agree with you there. He he deserves a chance at it. And uh, like you said, I guess the in in our heads, we know that, you know, people, when they come in, they will hire somebody they're a little bit more familiar with. And depending on who that GM is, you you never know. But, uh, yeah, that is going to do it for this week, folks. 
Uh, hope those games work out for you. Uh, choose to do with that information, whatever you like. And as always, on the way out, peace!